In the 21st century, the world searches for answers to the questions that really affect our lives. Does anyone know an anagram for gonad dream? To debate the topics that really matter. Star Trek is in a good place right now. Yeah, I can't agree with you on that one. And be brave enough to state the truth. Movies just don't end that way. Three men dare to face what others fear. James. Oh yeah, I, di- I didn't need that image. Jesse. Uh, I was thinking God or dog. Joe Ash. I want Stan Lee to be the one to wield the Infinity Gauntlet and destroy Thanos. If you hunger for knowledge, if you thirst for wisdom, if you're looking for a podcast that will make all your wildest dreams come true, you've come to the wrong place. You're listening to the Anti-Matter Hour. Ah, it is that time of year where families get together around the around the fire, wrap presents, perhaps uh, pour a little drink of their choice depending on their age and preference, and watch explosions you and Christmas movies, bullets flying. Ah, uh, my favorite time of year. <laughs> it's well, well overdue. Yeah. Well, it's that time of year for a lot of people, but for some people, it's the first time they've experienced this time of year. Is that right, Joe Ash? <laughs> what? I don't know what you're talking about. And tell us what you experienced uh, for the first time uh, today. Yeah. So uh, this is uh, our kind of doing a movie review about Die Hard, which is the this will be the this is the first time that I have seen this movie ever and i am 40 years old so welcome a, to welcome a, a to brave Ash. new world so it's a, it's a bit overdue it's like a, uh, uh, what do they call it this is one of those uh, 12 step support meetings that's right <laughs> welcome joash thank you for being so brave <laughs> hello my name is george bullock and this is my first time seeing die hard now you're one of us <laughs> one of us one of us so um <clears throat> not that, uh, not that uh, it's temp- uh, uh, you know a, a spoiler sort of situation. Uh, if you haven't seen Die Hard, you know you're probably uh, you can just go out and watch it, or you're probably culturally absorbed enough that that you know anything that we're going to talk about is not going to uh, be a spoiler. But do you want to offer any uh, just general uh, thoughts or impressions before we get into any specifics? Um. <clears throat> so I guess uh, one of the things I'll say is that, um, and I mentioned this as we were, as we were watching it. It was about seventeen minutes in, and I got that feeling that I get sometimes with movies where I was like, "I'm gonna like this movie," and that's a good feeling to have because when you're early in like that it kind of gives you the opportunity to kind of relax and just enjoy the ride as opposed to at some point try to be like, is this a good movie or is it not? And, and I don't know what it, I don't know what, what causes that to happen, but I do know that when that happens, even things that if I were to be uh, more critical or something like that, I might look at the movie and be like, I don't know if they need to do that or whatnot. Now, just turns into a like I said, it's just a ride. It's just a fun, it's just a fun ride, and and I have fun, and I I don't know, I kind of like the movie more for for that kind of thing. So yeah, I mean that's a good point. There there are sometimes that where I, I go to see a movie for the first time, and uh, if for whatever reason I feel like I want to like this movie, like I go into it wanting to like it. Yeah. But the movie makes it so hard to do that. <laughs> so just watching the whole thing is a struggle. Like, oh, do I like this? Oh, I, I should, but I don't think I do. Yeah. And, and you're sort of like fighting with yourself almost while you watch it. And it's, yeah. uh, it's annoying and takes away from the enjoyment of it. Whereas this one, I mean, whether it's your f- first time watching it or your hundredth time or 
137th time per- perhaps <laughs> not, yeah. to, not to you know, not not to point anyone out in particular <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah it's a ride and and you don't have to worry about it you're gonna like it yeah i uh, yeah i think i think that i think you you nailed it where uh this was not a situation where i was you know because there's i mean look there's there's pressure going into a situation like this where you have a pretty universally beloved movie uh and you're the first one watching it and you're surrounded by people who watch who have watched it many times and love it that you kind of want to you like you go into it wanting to like it because you don't want to be like that one dissent dissenter that's kind of saying ah i don't like it and then have them be like what are you crazy and start a few that lasts you know generations yeah. the rest of your life <laughs> Um, but no, this movie was not, it wasn't something like that genuinely was, it was, it was just fun. It was a fun roller coaster. And I mean, man, yeah. Anyway, just, we can, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get more into it. But yeah, that's my basic thought is that at about 17 minutes, I was, I I was able to just kind of lean back and be like, all right, this is going to be a good time. Yep. Yeah. That's fun. What, uh, I'm curious though, um, what what you guys when you sit down to watch it having watched it as many times as you have um does it does it still hold your attention oh yeah 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 it's it's one of those uh situations where the movie is committed to memory and you have sort of the you know, you know the plot. You know the dialogue. Um, you have uh, favorite parts, but then when you uh, get the movie going, and we're all sitting here around the TV, you sort of have uh, little, um, I don't know, landmarks or um, um, little spots in the r- in the roadmap of the movie that you're looking forward to and anticipating, uh, and it's kind of like, uh, I don't know, kind of like maybe, you know equate it to like a holiday uh you know on the calendar uh you go oh you know it's only three more weeks until uh, my birthday or it's two weeks after that until the fourth of july well you're watching the movie and then you go oh oh it's only two more minutes until the part where uh you know he uh makes this funny line or uh or the you know he meets the, the police officer on the radio or uh or until he kills this one bad guy and you know so there's parts that you just get to even though you've seen it a hundred times before you just want to see this there's this one scene or one line of dialogue that you, it just hits every single time was there anything new that you guys like caught on to in this particular watching was there any any part of it even if it's minuscule that you were just like i never saw that before or whatever oh, just like maybe a few uh, uh, of the lesser, less important lines that some characters say that maybe I uh, had been mishearing all these times and I heard it like, or, or, or maybe I had forgotten it and now I reheard it like, oh yeah, I rediscovered that line and that's a good line. And um, also, uh, what the what was that? What was the that? movies that made us? The movies that made us on Netflix has a little featurette about Die Hard. Mm-hmm. And did you watch that before? I I didn't because I well, really that's good. That's good I really wanted to have as clean a slate as possible. Well, it's, you should watch it now. Now that you've seen it, yeah. And I I had watched it a little while ago on Jesse's recommendation, and uh, learned some stuff about the making of the movie from that, which at watching it today sort of clarified uh, some of the aspects of it and put a little bit of a different take on them, which I thought was interesting. Well, it was, it was funny to me because um, <clears throat> after we after we saw it, um, the the version that you have had some um, outtakes, um, which is funny to me because if you look at outtakes as they are, n- are as they are on movies nowadays, you basically have a second film crew that is there simply to film the filming of the film. For the purpose of outtakes and and special features and stuff Doc- like that, right, yeah. right, and so 
And so there's almost, I, I don't know, you, not to say that, that those outtakes aren't genuine, but sometimes I feel like I wonder if it's kind of reality TV-ish in the sense that it's kind of like, hey, can we just film a couple of outtakes here and here and, you know, whatnot so we can get some good stuff for the special features? Whereas in this one, like, you don't hear, I don't know, it's it's genuinely just these were the stuff that were on the cutting room floor and we just kind of scraped it together to show to you sort of thing. The stuff that they could find, I mean, I don't know when that was put together, but I'm guessing it was years after the movie. Yeah. I mean, Maybe th- maybe once DVDs came around, they, f- they found whatever scraps they could get <laughs> you know, it, years later and threw them into the DVD. And the outtakes aren't like, you know, um, it's it's not like a Jim Carrey sort of thing where it's like he just all of a sudden starts hamming and people in the background are laughing. And it's like, duh, 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 you know, these are genuinely just they're almost like deleted scenes or something like that. Yeah, there were a couple of uh, moments where Bruce Willis was definitely hamming it up for, sure. for the yeah. crew. But yeah. yeah, they weren't uh, back then. There was no reason for any of the actors to do a little bit extra, knowing that uh, there was a chance that there'd be an audience it for it. Yeah, he was just doing it for whoever was there at the time. Anyway, it was a. L- I'm sorry. This yeah. story's a long journey to get to the place where it's like uh, it, it was interesting to me how um, some of those takes had a very different flavor of uh, yes. of as to what the movie could have been. And it's interesting to me just 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 to see how uh, you know how close uh, make me wonder like how close certain movies that are really good are to being really bad, and a lot of it comes down to edits and things like that that kind of yeah well I think um, something that if you do watch that uh, the movies that made us you'll uh, learn is that. I don't know if this is standard in all the way all movies were made in the past and it's different now, but it seems like uh, when they're filming uh, it, well, in this particular movie, they were filming just barely ahead of the writing. Um, but I bet that how it's done oftentimes is they do a take, they do, you know, several takes and, and they're done exactly to the script. And then as long as they're already filming, they try a couple of, off script takes and just say, well, what if the character, you know, played it this way or what if we did it that way? And then sometimes those just end up working better. Um, and it's just a little off script because, uh, I mean, there would be no reason for some of those lines to ever have been filmed if they were just strictly filming to the script. Um, like for example, the, uh, uh, well, if you've watched the movie, small spoiler, I guess, uh, the scene with the FBI agents, uh, and they were discussing um, what were they discussing in the outtake? Uh, how to oh if the uh, if John McClane uh, was a police officer, or a terrorist, or a civilian, or and that you know they were they were happy that the terrorists were professionals, uh, right? And I mean that that's like you know that sounds like somebody just kind of riffing, like uh, like well, we're just going to say something a little different this time and see if it how how you know how it looks and how it sounds by the way uh if you haven't seen this movie in the last 30 years we will be spoiling it yeah i thought i thought we made that pretty clear so um <laughs> do we want to uh go through any scenes or or summarize the well, well first of all uh do we need to do a synopsis of this movie i mean i don't think we do i don't know if we need to do a synopsis but i think it would be good to maybe go through some of the iconic points of the movie so that because i have just because you know the char- characters and yeah and just kind of talk about like i don't know i'd li- there were some things that i'd like to talk about as far as what i thought and whatnot well then let's just talk about the stuff we want to but let's try to more or less go um in chronological order okay start with the beginning mo- for the most part so one of the first things that i noticed about john mcclain played by bruce willis uh was that the first, I don't know, maybe 20 minutes of the movie with him in it, he seems to he seems to not have yet found. He kind of plays it a little bit differently than he does later on, I guess, maybe because he's supposed to be he's supposed to be a he's a New York cop, obviously, Um 
I guess maybe, I don't know if estranged from his wife would be the right way to put it, but they they've got they've got issues. She has this great career that's going in California. He's a New York cop and doesn't want to move, and so they're separated. I guess would be the best way to put it. And the two kids live there. So he's a father of two kids and a husband, and he 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 definitely does have that moonlighting sort of feel about him in the beginning of the movie like he's walking around with that smirk on his face and he's he's like he's like women are hitting on him and he's yeah. <laughs> i don't know <laughs> I, th- I think um i don't know if it's in character or just um his personality as an actor but um for the character it seems like oh it's the first time he's been out to the west coast and it's a different uh experience for him he's you know the a lot of people like uh that i meet when i'm doing uber uh they come from the east coast they always say oh people are so much happier and more relaxed and and uh easygoing uh on the west coast and on the east coast it's grittier and uh Mm. and it i don't know if that's because like he was having that little conversation with the guy on the plane uh yeah about crinkling your toes and and then he meets his limo driver and it's like they hit it off they're sort of laughing and uh having a good time uh and i don't know if that's part of the john mcclain character or the bruce willis uh as an actor um or if it's actually just sort of a coincidence of how the movie's written but mm-hmm. uh, i i got i think that's what you were detecting also we were sort of getting the same yeah vibe. i i really liked it when um you know because he gets he gets to the christmas party and he basically understands that uh, his his wife is kind of pulling away from him a little bit because she's been using her maiden name and saying Ms. as opposed to Mrs. And <clears throat> there's this guy that's, you know, this sleazeball that's kind of going after his wife and, and stuff like that. But uh, when she takes him into... Uh, one of the offices that has a private bathroom so that he can, you know, wash his armpits, I guess, and stuff like that. Um, They have an argument, and as she exits, he's banging his head against the wall and just kind of being like, oh, what an idiot, and stuff like that. I feel like that was the first time where I understood the character of John McClane a little bit, where he's got this kind of brash exterior, um but on the inside like he really he really wants to be with her he wants to be with the family that sort of thing and and his he's out he's really outside of his comfort zone i think that kind of goes to what you're talking about where you know this is the first time he's been on the west coast and he's he's just not he's not comfortable but he's doing it because he wants to try in some way to find some sort of way to mend the relationship or whatnot and I know that that's pretty. Uh, that's a pretty deep analysis for a movie like Die Hard, but I don't know. I thought it was it was a good moment. Just th- he did a good job in that brief moment of establishing the character, which is about all the time that you have in an action movie to establish that character. Well, there are there are moments later on, the, the quiet moments later on, where they establish him some more, and we learn more things. Yeah, but th- that first part. Again, I don't know if it was intentional, or if it, or just a you know happy coincidence or something. But it, the, the first part before all the action begins, uh, m- m- John McClane is uh, sort of still in maybe a little bit of denial about the situation with his wife. Yeah, and he but uh, he, he I think he came into the situation with a certain uh, set of assumptions, and then s- seeing the how successful she was, you know that 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 got chained threatened. And he didn't react too well to it, and he's, he, he's dealing with all that. And it isn't uh, until the action begins that we that he gets distracted from that, and we see the other side of his personality. I think. Yeah. I really enjoyed how the um, movie uh, introduces you to several kind of key, uh, n- not exactly the the main characters and the stars of the movie, but uh, the sort of the side and supporting characters like Argyle and uh, Ellis and a couple of Holly's co-workers like the boss and like the uh, the assistant, uh, the pregnant lady, 
Um, they just kind of uh, set a little bit of a mood, but also, uh, especially um, in the case of like Ellis and Argyle, I think Joash, you mentioned uh, they were dropping a lot of uh, um, like Chekhov's guns and uh, yeah, and uh, just little little uh, bits of dialogue and, and sort of foreshadowing uh, that you know they would come back to uh, to help you uh, help the movie along later, and uh, it was really quite masterful. Uh, they also had, uh, uh, I guess it was Argyle. Uh, Ellis and uh, was there another one that I was thinking of? When it, they just had very good uh, dialogue timing with the uh, the lines and uh, little bits of of action that sort of uh, um, propelled the movie along uh, and gave a few laughs uh, at critical times. Yeah, I, I feel like um, it's a Rolex. <laughs> I feel like if you look at this movie compared to say. Um, a lot of what Michael Bay's movies have been as of recently. Um, I mean, to me, this is, uh, to me, this is what I think Michael Bay either is or should aspire to be able to do because it has all the action that you want. It's got the explosions. It's got all of that stuff, but it does have, it, 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 it does a, you know, a really good job of all those setups because they all get paid off. Um, and for people who watch a lot of movies and under and can understand those, like understand like oh the movie's telling me something here kind of a thing, you know it's good that that those are paid off um, in a uh, in a in a satisfying way, and it, I think that um, the movie is incredibly I think the movie was very efficient with its dialogue. You know, again, a movie like this, you don't have a lot of time to to exposit. So what ends up happening in a lot of times in movies is that you've got like this weird sort of, okay, we have to set a scene specifically so we can have like two minutes where we just explain something to the audience so that they understand it. But it's a very contrived scene. You know, like two people are talking about something when they normally wouldn't be talking about it. Kind of a weird thing. Um, or like they're watching TV and all of a sudden or, or they turn on the TV and it goes straight to a news broadcast that basically deals with the, 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 the right <laughs> the story that's most relevant to them at that moment. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And I think, you know, a, a good example of that for me, again, kind of dealing with the beginning of the movie is when he enters the office of the Takanagi. Takagi. Takagi, okay. Takagi, yeah. The Takagi building. and um, It's a Nakatomi building. Nakatomi. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, Nakatomi building. But the, the man's name is uh, George... George? Well, last name is Takagi. Okay. Um, Nagataki building. He answers N the... Nakatomi. Nakatomi building. Man. Whew. Sakatomi. You've only seen the movie once. So you don't <laughs> have it down yet. You'll get it. <laughs> um, anyway, he enters the building and he's looking for Holly uh, McLean, which is his wife. And the guy, the security guy, is just like, oh, just uh, type it in there. It'll tell you where she is. So he's typing in and looking for McLean. Doesn't find her. Goes back to the beginning of the screen. Types in G for her other, her for maiden her name. maiden name. Gennaro. Right. And then finds it and whatnot. Movie doesn't say anything about what he's doing. Doesn't have the security guard say, McLean, we don't have no McLean here. Or whatever. You know, some weird thing like that. It just, it, but you understand what's happening. You know that, oh my gosh, she's not using her maiden name anymore. So now he finds, or he, she's not using her married name anymore. And so that in and of itself gives you information about like, oh, this is what, how it's going to, you know, it's just stuff like that. It's very efficient in, in giving you those story bits um, that, you know, lead, lead up to you kind of like i don't know you really do root for mclean in the end like you you know you, how do i put this there i feel like i feel like i've i feel like this is one of the well this is one of those kind of 80 action movies where i was actually in emotionally invested in what was going on as opposed to like you know commando or something like that where 
it's all just about watching Arnold Schwarzenegger stand in a semicircle of dudes and <laughs> mow him down with an AK-47 or something like that and, you know. Toss a saw blade at their head. Right, exactly. But, yeah, yeah to expand what you're saying. Plane zero. Uh, yeah, you do root for McLean, but you also root for uh, his wife. You're hoping that they reconcile and get back together. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. Does this movie is it's called the Bechtel test right isn't that the one where it's like is the movie it, mm-hmm. you know does it have more than one female character in it does it have two me two female characters that are talking to each other about something that doesn't relate to a man or something oh. like that <laughs> um the only reason I, I bring that up is because uh it's interesting how you know you you have a, a female character who has a uh who is a you know like high up in a corporation and uh i don't know just it 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 didn't seem necessarily like his he was he wasn't there to save her necessarily you know she wasn't like she wasn't the uh damsel in distress right exactly it was more about it's you know there's thirty people up there and he's kind of trapped in there with him sort of a thing. Yeah, and they're all probably gonna die if uh, he doesn't. If he doesn't do something, today. yeah, uh, exactly. And it's not until the very end of the movie where, uh, where uh, Hans Gruber finds out that it's his wife that he takes her hostage. Up until then, there's nothing about that. So it's just kind of interesting. I, I just looked it up. Uh, uh, technically, Die Hard does pass the Bechdel test, but only because, uh, uh, well, at the, at the time, her character's name is Holly Gennaro, <laughs> has a, basically a single line, line of dialogue with another woman. Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't deal with another, that doesn't deal with, m- with men in any fashion. Is no, it, it, she's it, telling her to have a drink or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The pregnant woman to have a drink of champagne. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> so yeah, that, that, because of that, uh, apparently it passes the Bechdel test. Still, for a for an eighty for a late eighties action movie, I mean, it's kind of kind of impressive. Well, actually, no. She also has a, a phone conversation with her um, oh, the nanny. Housekeep, housekeeper nanny. And technically, she does have a con- well. She doesn't have a conversation with another lady, but when she's talking to Hans Gruber, she's not talking about her husband. She's negotiating to get a couch for the pregnant woman and to let them use the restroom and things like that. And then later she punches a man in the face. <laughs> the reporter? Yeah. <laughs> so um, shortly after the uh, terrorists or the thieves, uh, the exceptional thieves, uh, enter and take over the building, uh, for me at that point, the building itself sort of becomes the MVP of the movie. It's uh, it's really interesting. The Most movies would have a, just a massive, massive budget and never come up with a set design that was anywhere close to what this movie has. But it turns out, uh, just p- by pure stroke of luck, that building, which is uh, was a practical environment that they used uh, because it was just under construction... And it was owned by uh, Fox. Oh, really? Um, yeah. So the studio that was producing the movie uh, wasn't it Paramount or Paramount, whoever it was. But it's the f- I think they said it's the Fox Plaza now. Maybe Fox bought them out later. Or maybe on. May, I might be wrong. I might be thinking of something else. But anyway, um, at the time the building was just uh, barely open. You know, they had opened a few floors, but a lot of it was still under construction, and it was just a practical environment. And they the writer and director walked around the building and like said, Oh, I wonder if we could do a scene, you know, in this, uh, you know, where there's this, you know, this boiler room or, you know, in this uh, shaft that leads up to the, the roof or, uh, what different things could we find on the roof that, you know, the, the characters could take advantage of. And, uh, you know, they had the garage and, and the property around. Uh, so everything was, um, sort of just so they didn't have to, you know, try to do anything on like a soundstage or, you know, like a, what do you call it, a, a studio or, you know, where they build up a fake. Kudos to them then, because I can't imagine how difficult it must have been to light and sound entirely within 
a practical setting like that because that's one of the main reasons that you use a soundstage is because you've got so much control over those and those are two very key things to a movie so especially if, if especially if they're doing rooftop stuff at night but the movie uh as i was sort of getting out the movie to me is kind of an mvp of this film because the building yeah the the building sorry um because they use elements of the building uh to sort of uh kind of remind you what's happening or what has happened um you know like the part where he runs past the uh the pinup the naked lady pinup calendar uh, a couple of times uh and uh um, frequently when the elevators are going up and down elevator shafts or stairwells, they have the, the, the floor, the number of the floor uh, on the wall and you kind of go, Oh, either, you know, he's one floor above them now or, um, yeah. And there's, uh, you know, there's different practical things like, uh, glass off, you know, glass office walls and, um, under, you know, board, uh, under construction floors, boardrooms, uh, just all all there for the glory of action yeah. film. <laughs> McLean is really smart too. Or at least he's 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 very clever and the fact that as he cuz he you know eventually he uh he makes a noise as he's watching uh Mr. Takagi Takagi get shot. He makes a noise in trying to escape. So they come looking for him, and he goes into an office area and kills the one guy that they sent after him. And that gives him... I think you're mixing two scenes together. Uh, no, well, I don't think if, so. It, toward the beginning... Uh, he, he, he doesn't kill anybody in that scene. He's hiding. He just hides. Yeah, he's, he's hiding in that scene, but as, he is, as he's escaping, he makes a noise. And so they come looking for him. Right, but then he hides to the point where they, you know, they, they say, oh, it's nothing. And they all go their separate ways. And he's still unknown at that point. That's right. Oh. Because there's a point, I don't remember when the first, he gets Carl or, uh, yeah. or one of the guys. But that's... That's when he pulls the fire alarm. Oh, that's, that's right. right. Yeah. That's right. Okay. So I was mistaken. So after he pulls the fire alarm, the guy comes up and... So he kills him, and that gives him the radio, which allows him to listen into their conversations along with some other stuff. But as he's doing that, he's writing down all their names on his arm. And uh, he's also, when he's going up through floors, he'll say, okay, 32 isn't finished, 33 is finished. Like, you hear him talking and telling himself, like, these are the floors that he has access to that are finished and unfinished. So it's just like he's he's kind of at least gathering and building information yeah. in his head. Yeah. And uh yeah, there's a lot of different sort of plot elements like that um they're meant to you know, one step forward, two steps back, like uh I pulled the fire alarm but the fire department uh got called off or uh you know, the police finally sent somebody out but the lady on the radio doesn't believe me uh and told me she's gonna report me to the FCC. <laughs> <laughs> this is uh this is a uh, this channel. This is a secure channel. This is a secure channel only for emergency services. I'm not trying to order a pizza, lady. <laughs> um. So I just I'm just curious. Um. I'm Agent Johnson. Hans this is Special Agent Johnson. Johnson. <laughs> this is a Special Agent Johnson. No, the other Johnson. Um. Sorry. The. That's oh, okay. The so Hans Gruber's plan was to he, he wanted the money. That was the main thing. He wanted the bearer bonds. So he brought in a crew um somehow knowing, I guess, at some point that they were going to have an office party on the 30th floor. Limiting access except through the service elevator below the 30th floor he was going to then either get the codes from mr tagaki takagi takagi or he was going to break in he he was rigging the ceiling or the roof he was rigging the roof of the building to explode uh he was then 
doing all of that, expecting for eventually the police to show up with the FBI. He was then going to send them on a wild goose chase, freeing all these, uh, all of these uh, other terrorists that were held in prisons around the world, just to buy time for them to break through the seven locks. Yeah, and just eventually, a stalling. Tactic. Yeah, just a stalling. Well, no, tactic. that was to add legitimacy to the idea that they were terrorists. Oh, okay. As opposed to just straight up thieves. Right. They needed to know that they were terrorists, so they'd do what you're saying. Yeah. And then all of that was to get the money. And then he was going to have all of everyone up on the roof because he was asking for helicopters to come to the roof. He was then going to blow up the roof, making it look like everyone died so they wouldn't come looking for him afterwards. Well, yeah, there's a... Oh, yeah. Were you done? Yeah. I think that's about it. There was a bit of a flaw with that plan, though, because, I mean, they did blow the roof. Yeah. And it didn't destroy the vault room, so they would have known that the vault was opened. Yeah. And that the money was taken. Anyway, I I just, I was, I I mean, not that that's the, that's not the most important part of the movie by any means. But in theory. But uh, just trying to understand the different ins and outs of what was going on. In theory, wouldn't the, if they. If they were going, say, say they'd stolen the money out of the vault, then gone to the roof, then blown the roof, then, I mean, they could still say, like, oh, they were terrorists, but they also took the money, and, and but it all got blown up on the roof or something. Well, like I that. guess the, the idea was that the explosion, they, they, they wanted the FBI to think that the explosion killed the terrorists. So part of their plan must have been to escort, to go with the hostages onto yeah. the helicopters. But... They didn't really expand upon that. I guess it was kind of pointless. Yeah, and then uh, something I didn't know. Uh, I, I didn't know there was a thing. I didn't know what a bearer bond was. I mean, I, I, I guess uh, it sort of makes sense before the times of like electronic transa- transaction records and everything like that. Whoever owned the bond, there's no, there's no need for any you know record of ownership. It's just whoever holds it in their hand owns it. Uh, yeah, I mean so it's the same thing with like a savings bond, right? Because they don't put your name on it. Yeah, you just you have that. Yeah, and paper. Y- if you have a stack of savings bonds at home and uh, and you decide to give them to your neighbor, then then they can turn them. Yeah, they yeah. can turn them in and get the money for it. So that's interesting. I didn't know about. Uh, I didn't really know the co- what a bearer bond was, so I found that out. Uh, I mean, it's not really any different from cash, except in larger denominations, right? something like that i mean they have a value the bond itself is something that you pay money for and then after a certain period of time it'll gain interest to yeah. be worth more than what you right and then it has more to be, than what they borrowed yeah and it's different than cash i mean you can, because you can't spend it you have to exchange it back for yeah. cash or something that's right because bonds are an investment in the sense that they sort of accrue their value and they did say that in the movie the terrorists said that the you know they were going to earn 20 percent earn 20 percent right which seemed high, but that's good. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, that's yeah. I mean, it's you would you would still have to take it somewhere to get the cash for it, essentially. But the, I, I but that, I'm guessing the, you just take it to any other bank or yeah, probably or any, take it to a Swiss bank. Yeah, or any financial yeah. institution around the world or whatever wherever terrorists do their banking. Yeah. There's probably uh, you know like a unscrupulous bank in the in the uh, Caribbean somewhere. You know? Yeah. That's what, oh, what they call it, the Panama Papers. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> what all the, the, the banks uh, are. <laughs> so, yeah, it, but uh, it was, um, it was interesting to me how he, like some of the time when McLean reacted, he, it, you could tell this was not, he was not the cool, calm, collected action hero all the time. He was smart, but he was def I mean, he was talking you know, he was definitely stressed and talking to himself and stuff like that. So it was just it was different than what you have come to expect from an action hero, which I kinda liked. Well that was intentional. Um f- never mind the source material, but for the movie specifically the director um wanted to not make another commando or Rambo, or, or whatever, right? Like we were talking about earlier, he wanted the the hero to be sort of like an everyman type of character. Yeah, where he's, I mean, yeah, he's a superhero in the sense that you know he's you know, he's a cop and so he's skilled and so he's not just your average Joe per se, 
but you know he's not the I mean, he was, you know, obviously in, in, in great shape, but compared to like Schwarzenegger or right. whatever, he's, yeah. Which is funny because he kind of like points that out in the movie. Isn't there a line where he's like, this isn't your like local Schwarzenegger movie or something like that? Uh, there's a line that references Schwarzenegger, but yeah. it's something about enough weaponry to orbit on Schwarzenegger. That's no, what yeah. it is, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's something that actually um, took actual particular notice of during this watch of the movie i mean i've seen the movie a number of times before but it did just sort of dawn i mean that in most sort of movies like this they'll take uh they'll take a, a lap to to like establish how this character is is so qualified and so uh um you know how they're going to be better and and how they're gonna where they got their skills and uh what skills they possess, like, oh, you know, he's a retired Navy SEAL, uh, you know, and he was on the team that took down Bin Laden or, so, you know, something like that. Uh, yeah, or you would typically have, like, it would be something where they find out he's John McClane, a police officer from New York, and then some guy would come up and say, Oh, that John McClane? This is his record, and yeah, he's, you know. But no, he's just a, uh, he's just a you know, ordinary street cop that nobody's ever heard of before. We call that the, we call that the, uh, the cook in the boat. Is what you're talking about? Talking about under siege? Yes, yeah. exactly. <laughs> well, uh, I think the the uh, referencing uh, Predator has one of my favorite scenes in terms of just sort of setting up all you really need to know about the the, the, the character is when Arnold Schwarzenegger's character and Carl Weathers' character meet, and Schwarzenegger is like Matt or, or Dylan, and then they clasp. Yeah. And <laughs> There's this these clasp hands and you see the, you see their muscled arms and <laughs> there's like they're almost arm wrestling in midair right <laughs> and then, and then uh, Schwarzenegger looks looks over and says been pushing too many pencils what's the matter <laughs> the CIA have you pushed too many pencils <laughs> and, th and that's all you need to know <laughs> about that <laughs> that's that sets that sets them up yep. good enough <laughs> yep and. Uh, Probably my last sort of favorite uh, lasting memory of this movie is the, you know, there's there's the funny moments, uh, uh, especially with the inept police, the inept FBI, <laughs> um, uh, the references to Ellis doing coke. Uh, um, but my, probably my most lasting and favorite part of this movie is the buddy cop sort of relationship he forms with uh Al, Sergeant Al Pal, and uh, some of the funniest little lines and and uh, and just uh, warmest uh, uh, feelings of uh, you know this movie come from sort of that relationship that builds uh, throughout the movie and um, you know Sergeant uh, it's almost uh, I guess a subplot of this movie one of the one of the main subplots to me is the I guess the redemption of. Sergeant Powell because he uh, has gone off of the you know the the beat or whatever uh, because he has lost his ability to uh, use a weapon and he made a mistake and shot an innocent person and uh, then by the end of the film you know he's sort of he's basically crisis managed this entire situation um but then he redeems himself with, you know, the closing scene of the movie. Yeah, and that's the hints on the, something that was mentioned earlier. We were, we're talking about how the the, the, the first, you know, seventeen-ish minutes or so, uh, the action hasn't started yet, and we're seeing uh, John McClane, and you know, things are pretty slow, and uh, we're getting some character um, set up for him. Um, but then once you act once the action starts. They still find ways to, you know, have some of that that, you know, that happen, mostly between the, the the communication between McLean and Powell, where we learn Powell's you know backstory, and um, and then through their conversation, we also learn more about uh, McLean's like real feelings about his wife and all that. And yeah, there's a there's a pathos there, and uh, and I find myself uh, every time that I watch this movie, I actually hear this particular scene where they're talking about uh, oh you're going to make it out alive 
and and the, one of them or the other, I can't remember exactly which, but they say, you know, oh, and I want, uh, you know, our kids to play together. Uh, yeah, that, and that was McLean. He yeah. was like, yeah, have and, them play with little Ray Jr. or whatever. Yeah, and I, I find myself actually wishing that there was like a movie or a, a sequel or something where they're, you know, they're those two are on vacation together, their families are vacationing together, and their kids actually are playing together. <laughs> that would have been, I don't know. Would that have been too much if that had been the end of the movie? Yes. Like nine months later or something like that? Okay. Yes. Anyway, uh, yeah, it's interesting because um, I think that's it, – it's it, it points to how, uh, you know, the sergeant, he was, he was kind of the thing that kept McLean going throughout the movie. Because you get the idea that maybe without someone to talk to, a fellow police officer, someone to kind of – be able to have that 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 outlet with that he might not have he might not have made it he might, well i mean during most of the movie uh mclean is talking to, to to two people he's talking to hans he's talking to al powell and you know he's he's enemies with hans and he's friends with powell yeah so he gets so so he's he's alone but he's not alone yeah Um, I mean, so yeah, talking, uh, just expanding again on like what we've been talking about already with the, the building sort of being a character and all that. I mean, that's the defining characteristic of what makes Die Hard the genre of movie, uh, as it were, uh, work. I mean, there's been a lot of movies that are basically, you, you know, referred to as like Die Hard on a boat or Die Hard <laughs> on a train or... Die hard this, die hard that, and that's because you've got an, an incredibly restrictive environment. Um, in, 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 uh, in the case of Die Hard, he, he's, he's stuck in this building, but it's not just that. He, he's lost his shoes, so he's running around barefoot, yep. and um, he can only really speak to the people. He's, uh, he's on his own, at least uh, physically, he's, but you know, he's, he has help maybe from outside, but you know, right, right where he is, he's on his own. So it's it's just this tight, confining, restrictive environment, and you know, uh, just making that work. I mean, uh, this movie lacks. We, we we talked about some other movies, uh, compared it to like Commando, and whatnot, and so many of those movies have like, like Commando has a scene where he goes to this gun shop and breaks in and just you know, arms himself to the teeth. <laughs> well, that doesn't happen in Die Hard. No, <laughs> he scrounges up some <clears throat> ammo here and there, and uh, but mostly he's just using you know what he what you know what he comes across whatever resources are at hand and uh it's it's not quite but it's almost macgyverish in a way in that in that sense yeah i mean it's i mean he's he's definitely resourceful you you get that you get that from the movie i mean in a moment of desperation he figured <laughs> out a way to basically destroy an entire floor of the building and, and take out a rocket launcher in the process yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah, take that, MacGyver. That's right. <laughs> well, we've been jumping around quite a bit. Uh, what about um, any other like favorite moments at any point during the movie? Um, I, I think one of the things I love about this movie is that it's got it's got some good character actors in it. You've got um, Paul Gleason, who plays the uh, not the sergeant, but the other police. The officer, deputy, uh, yeah, com deputy commissioner, com commander, I guess. whatever yeah. the, the head police <clears throat> guy. Yeah. Oh yeah, De deputy police chief. I think. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he's been in he's been in a in a ton of stuff, uh, and then you've got, um, oh my gosh, what was his name? Richard. Atwood, Al not Atwood, Al uh, Atherton. Ather yeah, Richard Atherton, uh, who played the, uh, the. TV reporter who was in Ghostbusters. He was the wasn't he the deputy mayor? No, he was the like EPA. Oh, that's yeah, right, yeah. inspector guy. <laughs> right. Um, and then uh, of course you've got uh, the sergeant who I wonder if this role is what got him Family Matters. Well, well this came out before Family Matters, yeah. So it's possible, but. His character, it was a different character in Family Oh, Matters. absolutely. But he, he played a he played police a officer. Police officer. So, a nurturing uh, yeah. kind of guy. Um, 
but yeah, I think I think that it it had a good it had a good uh, supporting cast underneath it, and then it had um, oh, what was the guy's name from Matlock? Oh, oh that was the the computer technology yeah. uh, guru breaking into the safes. Uh, His character's name was Theo. Theo, yeah. yeah. So Paul Gleason, you would have seen him in The Breakfast Club, Trading Places. Uh, of course, uh, y- no one could forget his role in Ewoks: The Battle of Endor. <laughs> I certainly haven't. But yeah, there there's just a lot of recognizable faces. Kind of that thing where it's just like oh, I've seen him in stuff. Kind of a there's the there's a, a special agent Johnson. Uh, no, not that one. The other one. No, the other one. Yeah, uh, yeah. played by Robert Davi. Yep, who was in The Goonies. Yep, and uh, one of the villains in a James Bo- or the villain in a James Bond movie. Plus, he's just been in a bunch of TV and other stuff like that. Right. Yeah, there was a good, um, uh, a good amount of. Normally, you think of uh, a movie like this, and it's just a action movie, explosions and gunfire, and um, they they made a concerted point to uh, in insert moments of sort of funny funny moments and funny dialogue like uh well i mean the one that we specifically uh got a good chuckle out of is the uh the one where the swat guy pricks his finger on the uh rosebush rosebush but there was others uh there was you know the interaction between the ampm clerk and uh sergeant powell yep and the helicopter pilots uh kind of joking around about how they're gonna you know shoot down the terrorists but only take 25 percent hostages that's acceptable yeah yeah and there's i mean just other moments but uh they did a pretty good job of uh of putting those little sort of lighthearted throwaway moments uh into the yeah that's interesting because i mean this is a serious action movie in in the sense that you know there's blood and people die and whatever it's so it's it's an action movie but they throw enough comedic elements into it so I mean, it's definitely not a comedy, but there's enough comedy in it to sort of sort of soften the edge of the action a little bit. I guess you could say. I'm curious about something. Can any of you guys think of a one-liner from the movie? Yes. Well, it's the line. Well, but that's not a one-liner. He only says it once. What I, what, what I mean is, like, can you think of a punny one-liner? Uh, I don't know if they were literally meant to elicit sort of laughs. Well, th- th- there's a... Oh, sorry. Were you about to say something? I was just going to point out one that you actually pointed out during the movie, like when he uh, uh, first met Ellis and he pointed to him that he didn't uh, finish, you know, finish cleaning the coke off his <laughs> nose or... I mean, uh, there, there's just... You missed some there or yeah, something like it's that? Not, they're not punchlines, but there are things that you're supposed to laugh at. Like. But see, there's a couple. But see, that's... To me, that's kind of like that's in the movie's favor. Usually, in an action movie like this, you'd get a lot of like you know, guy's neck would be broken, and it's just like you know that guy's a pain in the neck or something like that or whatever. And you don't have that in this movie, really. You've got funny moments like that. You've even got jokes and stuff, but nothing that's super forced like hey, that. Maybe, maybe uh, I'm sure there's one. Maybe well, go ahead. Well, there's a when um, McLean uh, uses the radio to try and get a police uh, oh, yeah. ca- car to show up, and so uh, Al Powell drives up really slowly, and McLean's looking down. And he's he's like, "Who's driving this car, Stevie Wonder?" Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and there's also the one. Uh, it's also it's not a not a punchline, but when the uh, when he's shooting one of the terrorists. Uh, he says something like, "You should have, uh, you know, shot somebody when you take the chance. You know, shoot, shoot before you know your chance is gone or something." And then he immediately like shoots ten times oh, right through yeah. the table, uh, <laughs> right when he's like saying that line, uh, and uh, that's like, kind of this time you have the chance. You ought to shoot somebody or something yeah. Like and that. the 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 gunfire is like the punchline. Like yeah. you're like, ah. right? <laughs> well, there's definitely a lot of quotable lines in this movie. They may not be right. punny per se, but there's. What he wrote on the uh, sweatshirt of the first terrorist he killed. Yeah. No, I have and a machine, machine gun. gun. Ho, 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 ho. <laughs> but see, to me, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is that there are a lot of movies. I mean, a big one to me is Running Man. Running Man has some of the worst punchlines, you know, like 
uh, by worst, I think you mean best. <laughs> anyway, uh, <laughs> I'm just saying that I think the humor really hits here. And it doesn't feel it doesn't feel like the hero is forcing it in a weird sort of way. I don't know many people in any situation that would kill someone and then ev- immediately make a joke about how they killed them. <laughs> and so you don't get that. You get you get humor that I I think is a little more um, uh, relatable. I guess in a sense, you know, like you get situational humor. You can tell the humor uh, that McLean, you know, I mean, because he's basically talking to himself when he already does it. Right. Is sort of like a like a stress valve. It's exactly. Like, it's, just <laughs> it's, it's a way for him to basically not go crazy. It's a coping mechanism. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And 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 even like the other stuff, like the the moment you were talking about where he walks into his wife's office and there's Ellis uh, at, behind her desk, essentially ending his. Uh, ending a row and then he stands up and is talking and 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 McLean looks at him and says oh you missed some there or something like that <laughs> <laughs> and you know moments like that i feel like that's that's humor that really hits as opposed to you know oh he's sub zero now plane zero <laughs> can can you name anyway. it, can you name any of those one liners that aren't from schwarzenegger no <laughs> i can't but that's just because that was his thing. Yeah. Sylvester, like I'm sure there's, I think there's some Sylvester Stallone movies that have them in them too, uh, and um, I I don't know them off the top of my head, but uh, I'm sure there's some stuff like that in, in Transformers, I'm sure Shia LaBeouf maybe says something or whatever. Yeah. Let's not let's not mention that in comparison to these other movies. Um, also, uh, yeah, like in all the that was an, that was kind of an '80s. So like you have the uh, like Sly Stallone and Mel uh, Mel Gibson uh, action movies, uh, or sort of um, had some really bad punchlines in them. Yeah, I guess to me that just it, it's it's another one of those things that's kind of a differentiator, where you've got all the elements of what makes an action movie an action movie, but you have someone who is just better at doing it, I guess. Well, there's just different ways to make an action movie. Yeah, there's the good way. Seeing <laughs> <laughs> uh, as how you just got finished watching Die Hard for the first time, is this now basically redefined how you categorize action movies? I would say early action, like 80s action movies and, and, and other modern day movies that emulate that style, yes, I think so. Like to me, I could see why this is rewatchable. You know, not a lot of people sit down everywhere and uh, every year and are thinking like, oh, it's time to go back to Total Recall again. You know, I mean, if it's on cable TV, I'm sure people will maybe stop and watch it. But it's not an event based movie. And I feel like Die Hard is an event based movie. Well, it's a Christmas movie and it's we're not, um, it isn't known for that simply because it's set on Christmas Eve and takes place entirely on Christmas Eve. Um like the the music in the movie there's a there's a bit of custom music going on yeah but by far most of it is variations of various uh christmas themes yeah and a lot of the characters will hum or whistle christmas tunes themselves while they do their thing and, yeah mm-hmm. um and then the main theme is like has jingle bell it's like yeah. aggressive jingle bells <laughs> in the in the main theme um so and as such, uh, as a Christmas movie, it's it's entered into my uh, personal Christmas tradition uh, with several other, you know, more, I'd say more mainstream accepted Christmas movies, but... Um, you mean like movies that have the word Christmas in the title? Yeah. Uh, I mean, but it is a tradition. Uh, it's, it's become a tradition over the course of, I don't know, 20 plus years for me is there a particular time uh that you watch it like do you watch it closer to christmas or is it early on that you kind of are like all right it's time to start the season Mm -hmm. off with i mean i don't like i don't like circle it on my calendar but it's i always watch it during this season um just along with several others and uh um we also uh have to potentially acknowledge that uh lethal weapon is a christmas movie are all four of them set around the same time, or just the first one? Uh, I don't know about, about all four of them, but it's uh, um, 
it's the first one definitely is a Christmas movie, and uh, we may have to potentially schedule a watch for that. Josh, have you seen Lethal Weapon? I have. Okay. I have seen that. I mean, it's definitely a movie set during Christmas time, and at some point a car gets driven through uh, Murtaugh's house, which has a Christmas tree in it. Oh, and Christmas lights on his house. I think his house almost burns down, too. Um, that guy's house doesn't survive much, does it? <laughs> no, he has a hard time. Um, oh, this reminds me of uh, something that we... I mean, we're deviating from the diehard theme of this, but just real quick. Um, I think I asked this before, but uh, uh, Jesse, you, you haven't seen Loaded Weapon 1, have you? No. Yeah. You've seen that, right? I have. The spoof of uh, Lethal Weapons. Yep. With um, Emilio Estevez and Sam Jackson. Yep. We'll have to watch that sometime. Doesn't it have... Is it Pam Anderson that's in that, or... A lot of people are in it. Who's... Anyway. <clears throat> anyway, back to Die Hard. Um, anything else anyone wants to talk about Die Hard related? Uh, I mean, I get it. I understand. It is going to be a yearly watch for me, I think. <laughs> Yeah, that was that was kind of my closing thoughts. Was the the last uh, bit there? Yeah. Um, what about Die Hard Two? I don't know if I need to. I think you should. I recommend it. I mean, Die Hard obviously best. Die Hard Two, still pretty good. I just, I guess, what I'm scared of is is subsequent Die Hards somehow tarnishing what has been a good experience. Well, just stop at two, I'd say. Yeah, two, two's a, a pretty, I'd say, is a neutral uh, exp uh, relative to this diehard. It's You'd say it's kind of a lateral move. Yeah, so it's not going to hurt. It's not going to hurt this gotcha. diehard. It's, it's not like comparing Terminator One to Terminator Two, because Terminator Two, most people think it's superior to One. Right. One was pretty good. Yeah. But Two was a lot. It was like really good. Yeah. Uh, it's not like that, but. It, and it's not, and it's not like going from Terminator Two to Terminator Three. No, that'd be more like Die Hard Two to Three. Ah, uh, well, Three. Well, I mean, Die Hard Three. Uh, my understanding was it was originally going to be a different movie. I don't know which one, but then they said, "Oh, let's just make it Die Hard." It's gonna be like Die Hard in a sit in in a different city. <laughs> well, it wasn't going to be a Die Hard movie because it breaks a lot of the formula that was established. Because Die Hard Two has a similar formula. Confined space, yeah. restrictions, etc. Die Hard Three gets rid of that. Um, and if they ever, I mean, so far they haven't remade Die Hard officially. They've made a bunch of things that I mean, I, I, I consider Die Hard to be a genre of movie, right? I mean, like Under Siege, for example, uh, one and two. What about Speed? Do you think Speed's yeah. kind of that's, a Die Hard? That's Die Hard on a bus. Yeah, <laughs> right. And then there's Speed Two, Die Hard on a boat. Die Hard on a boat. But nobody just uh, remade Die Hard, and I hope they don't. What uh, if they ever are tempted to like ref you know re refresh it with new actors and all that stuff? What I hope they do is uh, basically uh, make a Die Hard movie that takes place after Die Hard one and two, and just basically rewrites what you know three through five, and just pretend they didn't happen. Because that always goes well. I mean, if they're gonna do it, better to do it that way than just yeah. make a new new movie called Die Hard or. That plan for a prequel, Die Hard. I think that would be a mistake. Yeah, I, I mean, again, I feel like it's. That's just a movie we don't need. We know everything we need to know about McLean's past, except what made him such a movie. great cop. Which, eh, best leave that to the imagination. He could be a terrible cop, though. That's the thing. Not, not, not a dirty cop. I just mean like he may not be this incredible cop back home. It's just. I think that's what makes the movie kind yeah. of as good as it is, is that you you don't you know, he doesn't have this reputation as being this superhero. He's probably a, a similar kind of cop to what Dirty Harry is. Right. Maybe not as I don't know, trigger happy. I guess. I don't know. <laughs> Anywho, um enough about prequels and sequels and whatnot. Um Yep, I guess we've said all we need to say. Yeah. Uh, for anyone who hasn't seen Die Hard yet, who listened to this for some reason, uh, you should still go and see it because um, 
now's the perfect time. S- seeing the movie is uh, an experience that even if it's even if the plot's been spoiled, it, it's not going to spoil the experience too much. Yeah, I, I get, Die Hard is a movie that can't be spoiled because it's not about the plot; it's about the journey. <laughs> it's not about the destination; it's about the journey. Okay. <laughs> and if you don't uh, watch Die Hard, then you. Uh, like the television reporter, or no, like the uh, the police uh, deputy police ch- chief, deputy police captain, you deserve to get butt fucked on national TV. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and if uh, and uh, just want to say it to everyone, thank you for listening. Uh, you can now find us on Spotify and iTunes and. Apple, the, oh, Apple Podcasts. Apple now. Podcasts, that's right. And all the other uh, podcast aggregators. And uh, feel free to check us out and follow us on Twitter at the anti, at Antimatter Hour. And yeah. Yippee-ki-yay. Yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker. Yippee-ki-yay, M- M- Mr. Falcon. Mr. Falcon. <laughs> <laughs>